0: God, in his great mercy, has given to his church a sure testimony in the inspired scriptures. Let's read together now uh, from two places in the New Testament, both writings of John. First of all, just a few verses from John's Gospel, the first chapter and the first verse. John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1. Familiar words, it's the second passage that I will uh, preach from this morning, uh, but there are so many parallels with this opening of John's Gospel that it's worth reading the two side by side. As you read it too, you hear echoes of the first book of the Bible, of Genesis 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 1. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then if you turn to uh, John's first epistle, uh, so the same man, the same disciple who wrote this gospel, uh, turning to first John James first and second Peter, first and second, third John. So first John And chapter 1. And we'll read this first chapter together and then uh, later we'll uh, return to it. John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his truth I'm sorry his word is not in us amen I heard a story, I think it was here in Belfast, where uh, a trial was ongoing and there had been a, a soldier in a, a watchtower. We don't really have them so much anymore, but there used to be observation points in high buildings and there'd been some rioting, I think it was and uh, someone was up on a charge and based on the identification of someone at quite a distance up in this watch tower. The story goes that the uh, barrister for the defense was seeking to shake the case and, and open flaws in it and uh, you know, it was very particular how could the soldier identify the uh, rioter or alleged rioter at this distance. I said Corporal are you expecting the court to believe that it just so happened to my client's misfortune that the soldier in that watchtower was the individual with the best eyesight in all of Belfast? And the corporal said, well, that's why they put me there, which I thought was a rather, a rather good reply. And in evidence, as a, a number of folks will know, there, there are certain tests to put on identification evidence so you do have to ask how far away was the witness what was their eyesight like in the first place did they know the person beforehand had they any previous dealings with them were there any um, blockages leaves or anything that could have interfered with their uh, identification and what was the light like so how good an identification how good a witness can they be? Well, we've a sort of a witness statement this morning that we've read in 1 John. It was probably written in the city of Ephesus, what would now be Turkey. And uh, the author was John, the brother of James. Uh, He had a nickname. Him and his brother were known as the Sons of Thunder. They were maybe quite, quite loud in some way, not behind the door. And if his mother was Salome, as some commentators believe, uh, then he may have been a nephew of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is the man who is our witness this morning. Jesus had told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, you shall be my witnesses. Now, We can apply that in a way to all Christians being witnesses, but it's especially true of those disciples. Do you remember when they they were picking someone to replace Judas? They said it has to be someone who's been there from the beginning, who's been with us from the very start, because then he can be a witness. He saw everything, he's not just telling something that someone told him, he was there, he was a witness. From the beginning, and Jesus said to the, to the apostles, "You will be my witnesses." They would go out, they would write gospels, they would write epistles, they'd travel through Greece and Samaria, and they would tell people what they had seen. And then it would be helpful if you have your your Bible to have it open at John chapter one. We're just going to look at the first uh, f- uh, the first four verses, really. But uh, we'll keep referring to different words within it. And in verse two, um, he says, we testify. So I'm not just bringing in this theme of, of being a witness. That's a court word. He says, we, we testify. That's what you say if, you, if somebody testified in court. And in um, some other translations that you may have, it says, we bear witness. He says, I'm a witness. And in verse 3, he goes on to say he's proclaiming. I mean, some people are not that happy about standing up in a witness box. It's not their thing. But he's hes not just telling the judge. He's, he wants to proclaim to everybody. He's the sort of person who comes out of the court and makes a statement on the steps to the, the cameras. He says, we're proclaiming. I'm publicly announcing this. And sometimes people are prepared to say things, but will they put it in writing? Well, in verse 4, he says... I'm putting it in writing. I'm writing to you. So he's a determined witness. He wants his audience to know what he's saying is true and is important and that we need to hear it. And from what he says in these four verses, uh, we can draw five different uh, conclusions. Uh, he, He particularly emphasizes firstly that Jesus is really human that jesus was really there and was really human we can also take from what he says that jesus is really god as well as human that he's more than human that he is divine we can see from these verses that through this person who's both god and man we can know life we can be made really alive we can see that through jesus our isolation and our loneliness can end and we can be joined to God and to other believers through Jesus. And we see that through the gospel we receive glad tidings of great joy and that through Jesus our joy can be complete. It's a happy message. The letter generally was was written to provide assurance to people so that they could know that they were really saved, that they wouldn't be racked by doubts. But in doing so, in describing what it is to, to really be a Christian, he has to say, he talks about some things that false teachers are saying and false teachings. It's not that he's concentrating on these things, but he has to warn them In telling you what what brings life and joy and peace and forgiveness, I have to tell you about some of these false teachers who are troubling the early believers. And there was a false teaching that had come about, and it was influenced by probably Greek philosophy, influenced by Eastern mysticism and uh, sort of cultic uh, religions. And the the broader uh, name for it is Gnosticism. And it was to do with like these hidden, sort of like secret society type thing. You made it through different levels, and you were told different secrets. But a lot of it was about dividing the spiritual world from the material world. And it was saying, the spiritual world is good, all the material world, the flesh and the fleshly world, that's all bad. And so you can see they had a real problem with saying that Jesus Christ could be both God, spirit, which they thought was good, and a man, and they thought like human bodies, yuck, you know, that's not good. One form of Gnosticism was called uh, docetism from the Latin word, it seems. So it was like about seeming. And it was saying, It was nearly like a virtual reality. You know, Jesus was like a hologram. And I was saying Jesus was a spirit. He only looked like a human being. And he walked amongst us. And people thought they could see a man there, but he was really a spirit. Because they didn't think a spirit would be involved in the physical world. They disapproved of it. Uh, As a, a modern reference, actually, a number of people have seen links between some of these ideas spirit and flesh to gender identity uh, where people say well it's 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 feeling it's what you feel inside that matters it doesn't matter what biology says it doesn't matter what your dna says it doesn't matter about chromosomes it's just whatever you think you are you are physical world doesn't really matter And John over and over, as we'll see, emphasizes Jesus was real. He wasn't a vision, he wasn't a spirit, he was human. And it's something, obviously at this time of the year, we think about the incarnation, about Jesus taking on a human body, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, uh, entering into humanity. Now again just look at these four verses and, and think about what we we're talking about to the boys and girls the five senses they're not all named here but there's a strong emphasis on the senses that the witness uses so first of all he says which we have heard first one not which was from the beginning which we have heard so for three years he's heard jesus talking he's heard him talking in gardens. And on hilltops. He's heard him floating in a boat preaching to a crowd on the beach at the seaside. He's heard him preaching on the top of a mountain. He's been at, with him at dinner parties where he told stories and parables. He's heard him talking to, to grieving parents. He's heard him talking to widows. He's heard him talking to Pharisees. He's heard him talking to tax collectors. He's heard him commanding demons to leave people. He's heard him talking. He, he's heard him. Now, if you go back to a court video evi- or audio evidence is good. It's good if you have a recording of someone saying something. But it's always strengthened if you've got a video camera or if you've got an eyewitness, because otherwise people may say, "Oh, well, that wasn't my voice that's that's on that tape." So we've got accompaniment here as well. He says, which we have heard, which we have seen. He emphasizes it. Seen with our eyes. These eyeballs saw him. I saw him. He can't make it stronger. We've seen with our eyes. He'd seen him hungry. He'd seen him tired out and exhausted that a storm and a ship couldn't wake him. He'd seen him holding babies in his arms. He'd seen him touching lepers. He saw him bleeding on the cross with a spear jabbed in his side. He saw him after he was risen and he'd seen him ascending into the clouds. He says, I saw him. I saw him with my eyes. And he adds another word, which we have looked upon, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon. And uh, dictionaries say that that Greek word is, is, is stronger it. It means to closely observe. You know, we would say, he was watching me like a hawk. So it's close observation. He wasn't just somebody on the edge of a big crowd of 10,000, and, you know, he saw a bit of it. Do you remember, he was one of the inner circle. Quite often, there were the 12 disciples, but often there would be three of them. James and John and Peter, that he would take apart by himself. He was one of the inner three. Jesus was no vision that just people saw from a distance and spoke from the top of a mountain and then seemed to disappear. Jesus had, he also says, I touched him. He'd leaned up against him. Do you remember the last supper? He's lying up against Jesus. Maybe sometimes Jesus was tired and they were getting up from lying on the ground and on some sleeping out and and he reached down and pulled him to his feet or maybe steadied him as he was getting into a boat. He says, which we have touched with our hands. He'd, He'd had Jesus wash his feet, which we have touched with our hands. And John was there in Jerusalem. Do you remember when the resurrected Jesus stood amongst the disciples? And it actually says, they thought he was a spirit. Not, I think, because of Gnosticism, but they just thought, well, he's dead. We know he's dead. We know he's buried. What is this standing before us? Is it like an angel or something? They thought he was a spirit. And Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. He says, touch me. Look at me. I'm I'm flesh and bones. I'm human. And there's the account too of Thomas where he says, put your hand on my side. I'm real. Jesus is real. He's not a story. He's not made up. This person, he spent years with him in Mary's womb, in the manger, as a boy in Nazareth, in the carpenter shop, on the cross, in the resurrection, Jesus is real and is truly human. That's the, the main emphasis, I think, of this point in opposition to this error, but uh, there are some other points that we can take out of this, because some of these heretics, uh, yes, some of them were were just saying he was just a spirit, but there were others, you know, the devil tries from all different angles, the arrows come from every direction, some others would say, well, well then maybe he was just a man, if you're you're saying he's really human, is he just a man, not God as well? Well, it says, that which was from the beginning, now, in isolation, you could say maybe it's a reference to the beginning of his gospel ministry. He was there from the start of that, he'd heard it. But I think when you set it alongside John's gospel and all the parallels there, how the word was in the beginning with God and was God, uh, that that's a reference, I say it as a reference to um, the pre-existence of the Son of God that God always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and he sent the Son into the world to be the Savior. So the Son pre-existed before uh, he took on human flesh in the womb of Mary under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Son had always existed from the beginning, from, from before time began. And I think that's strengthened when we look at verse 2. So he says, that which was from the beginning, which was with the Father. So he's saying that before he was with us, before he was walking around Galilee and he was in fishing boats and he was on earth, he was with the Father. And if you read through the Gospels, Jesus frequently speaks of he's come from the Father uh, that he was with the Father, the glory that he had with the Father previously. Um, in Micah two, uh, where it speaks of a ruler to come from Bethlehem Ephrathah, it says, he whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So, whilst the prophet may not have fully understood it, he says there's a ruler coming, and he's actually, he goes back to ancient times from, from a, of old. He may not have understood, but we read that and we think, yeah, I know who they're talking about. They're talking about Jesus because he was always in existence as the Son of God. He was with the Father, verse 2. And the word with is a word pros, which uh, it can be translated as towards. Uh, It means often, when it's talking about people, that you're in close company with someone. Uh, You're in close proximity with them. It's not a sense of just, I don't know, I was with Robert Drennan today. You know, I was 10 pews from him and I saw him. You know, it's that you spent time with somebody today. You know, you you were close to them. And there's a very nice translation of it that an author, J.E. Adams, gives, which is, he was... Face to face with the Father. You know that sense of towards. He was face to face with the Father. It's that closeness which which they would not have attributed to any human being or even an angel. Angels cover their faces with their wings. Moses could not look on the face of God. But Jesus had eternally, the Son of God had eternally been in the most uh, close and loving relationship with his Father. And he's given this name, the Word. Uh, And in John's Gospel, we read how he's called the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And here, too, he's called uh, the Word of Life. It's a word that had a lot of connotations to people that have met in marketplaces and synagogues. The Jews, you know, as I'm sure you will know, didn't like pronouncing the divine name, which nobody's quite certain how to pronounce it, but we've tended to call it Jehovah, the name Jehovah. But they wouldn't pronounce it out loud, so they would use other ways of referring to God. One of them that they used in this time, in this period, was to call him the Word of God. So rather than saying, you know, God helped me to do something, Jehovah helped me, they would say the Word of God. And even for the pagans, even for the Greeks, the philosopher Plato, uh, he used logos, the word. Uh, It's logos in Greek. He used that word to refer to the divine reason that created the world. So it's, it's a high title that's being used of Jesus. Again, not something you use just of a rabbi, of a good man, of a teacher, that he is the word. only used as a title three times. It's used in John's Gospel, it's used in this letter, and it's used in Revelation, also written by John. And he describes there a rider on a white horse in chapter 19 whose name is Faithful and True. And he goes out and he conquers the nations with the sword, which is the Word of God. And the the rider is described as the Word of God. As the poet Roots and we're often reminded of at this time of year, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. He is man, he is God, he is the giver of life. It's Jesus who makes us truly alive. People may move and go through the motions Uh, but be spiritually already dead and toppling ultimately towards uh, physical death. An American writer wrote about people, the danger of approaching death and realizing you've never actually lived. He wasn't writing it in a Christian context, but that can be very true. And yet the scriptures tell us Jesus can make us alive. Truly alive, already tasting eternal life in this world, and with no fear of our own mortality—we will all die—but rather knowing that we have a life that cannot be touched by time, that is not affected by the grains of sand that drop through the hourglass. He gives real world, a uh, real life. And a verse. Uh, Verse 4, he writes about that our joy may be complete. He gives joy. It's not a gloomy message. It's not a message just about moralism and keep a code and sign up to an organization and do this and do that. He's the source of life. He's the source of ultimate joy, not just a temporary high before a dullness and a depression sets in of joy that lasts, joy that took some of these people into dens of lions and, and gladiators and pits. They were prepared to die with a, a song on their lips because they knew true joy and they knew life that a human sword could not take away from them. To find Jesus is to find the pearl of great price. It's to find the treasure that's been buried in the field and rightly did the supernatural messengers say, we bring you tidings of great joy, for unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he brings us a fellowship. A lot of people, not just Christian writers, talk about how isolated a lot of people feel in today's world. Very, a lot of structures breaking up, Family breakup, um, communities not the same as they were, different even social organisations, people feeling isolated and sometimes looking for some kind of fellowship online through computers uh, with others who are far away. People can live in big cities and be surrounded by thousands of people and yet feel really lonely and cut off. Cut off from their fellow human beings, but cut off from their creator too. At the start, we read this incredible thing about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This idea that Adam and Eve, before the fall, God would have walked with them and talked with them. There was intimacy. There was a close relationship. And with the fall, that was all torn apart. And fallen humanity came to hate their maker in many ways. Uh, and there was there was judgment and uh, anger being stored up against their sins. But the New Testament tells us that in Jesus Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. He was He was mending that tear and that rupture. And John says that we can have fellowship uh, with God uh, through. Uh, through this message. He says in verse 3, so that you too may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is the heart of the Christian message that we can have fellowship. We can be in Christ. We can be joined to Christ and that we will know the Father's love eternally. God will not be angry with us. He will truly be our Father in heaven. That can be mended. We can have fellowship with the triune God. There's a vertical relationship where the great commandment is, love the Lord your God. And that vertical relationship is mended. And then the second great commandment is like it, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And the horizontal relationships can be mended. That instead of deceit and backbiting and envy and rivalry, we can have fellowship with other human beings in Christ. And it doesn't matter what pigmentation their skin is. It doesn't matter what ethnicity they've grown up in. It doesn't matter what their nationality is. From every tongue, tribe, and nation, if someone is in Christ, they are our brother and sister. And as we are given fellowship with God, so he says, so that you can have fellowship with us. We can have fellowship with the apostles. We have fellowship in a, in a sense with believers who have died and are now already with the Lord and awaiting his return. We can have fellowship with one another. It is a message of hope. It's a message of joy. It's a message about life. It's a message about fellowship. This person saw Jesus Christ, and we can be assured that he is truly human, and truly God, and the Saviour that God offers to us. Amen.